Good morning, church. It's so good to see you. Welcome here. What a time of worship. My name is Glenn. I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, Really glad you're here, especially if you are new with us. A warm welcome to you. Welcome to City Light Bennington. Um, Our mode of operation on Sunday mornings as a church is typically, most of the time, to just preach through books of the Bible. And so we find ourselves this morning in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you brought your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 14. If you don't have a physical copy of a Bible and you'd like one in your hand during the sermon, go ahead and raise your hand. We've got guys coming down the aisles that have got physical copies of the Bible. And if uh, you don't own a Bible, take one of those, keep it. It's our gift to you. As you're turning to John chapter 14, um, one of the things I want to use by way of uh, introduction, excuse me, is just a kind of a reflection on my relationship with my three-year-old daughter, Savannah. If anyone knows Savannah, she is a live wire. Um, She's high emotion, high drama at all times. And uh, here's the thing, Savannah just lacks experience in life. She lacks a common knowledge of things. And so quite often I find myself having to remind my daughter that everything is going to be okay. Um, I remember one time in the backyard, I found a caterpillar and I was so excited to have one of those precious father-daughter moments where I pick up the caterpillar and I say, look, life created by God. It's on daddy's hand. Here, put it on yours. Kate, get a picture real quick of this. Uh, My daughter thought that that caterpillar would like eat her alive and wanted to have nothing to do with it. I think also of uh, times where we're on the road and the sun is shining through Savannah's window. And Savannah, um, I don't know how she got this, but thinks that the sun is going to burn her eyes out of their sockets. And so She's really afraid of the sun and like, Daddy, it's shining through the window. I have to say, how many times do I have to tell you it's going to be okay? Just don't look right at the sun. I think of times when Savannah loses a toy in the house. And the toy's not in the house anymore. It's lost forever in the abyss. Never to be found again. And I have to say, how many times do I have to tell you? It's going to be okay. Dad's here. I'm going to help you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you. It's going to be okay. I would say so it is with our passage this morning and the way that Jesus talks to his disciples. As a reminder of of context, in John chapter 14, we are in what is called the upper room discourse. Jesus is in this small place with some of his best friends. And he's spending his final moments of freedom comforting and preparing them for their worst nightmare, to be without his company. Jesus knows the next day that he will be tried unjustly and crucified he know that he knows that his time to die has come he knows his sacrificial death for the forgiveness of sin is looming church you will be hard-pressed to find more sobering and precious chapters in all of your bible than in these moments with jesus and his disciples and i want you to imagine with me the mostly unspoken cries of these men's hearts jesus Please don't go. Please don't leave us. We have unanswered questions. This doesn't make sense. We don't want you to die. Why do you have to die? Why is this happening? You have come and you have flipped our lives right side up. You are truly God in the flesh. And you are going away. And over the span of just 12 verses... Jesus is going to repeat the same promise to his disciples, the same exact promise, three different times. 
And as I was examining and studying this passage and preparing to preach this, it just kept hearing God's voice say, how many times do I have to tell you? It's going to be okay. I've summed up this promise that Jesus repeats over and then over again with the title of the sermon. Give Jesus your heart and he'll give you his help. Give Jesus your heart and he'll give you his help. And I want to show you this right away in our passage. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another, capital H, helper. May say comforter, may say advocate to be with you forever. Church, will you just step into this with me? Uh, The main fear of these men And frankly, the greatest fear that we should have is the absence of God. Do you get that that's what's happening in this upper room with these disciples? Is the fear of an absence of God. Here's how you know that your worship of God is true. You start to imagine your life without any hint of God's existence, and you quickly become overwhelmed with despair and hopelessness. Why? Can I just, I'll just raise my hand and be the first one to say my reason why. It's because I need God for everything. I need his help for everything. What would I do without his truth? What would I do without his plan and his purposes? What would I do without God's sovereignty, without his friendship and his love? What would I do without his perspective and his thoughts and his mind? What would I do? There is nothing, no part of my life and yours that does not cry out for the help of God. Amen? Every day our minds race with subconscious emotions and questions pertaining to a million little things. Is my marriage going to survive? Will it find a better place? Is my kid actually okay? Will they turn out? Um... Am I fulfilled? Am am I happy or am I sad? What about my relationships? Is there love or is there resentment? Do I have regret over decisions I've made? Is there a really strong desire today to make the right decision and think the right way about this and do the right thing and create the right result? Am I a success or am I a failure? And here's the thing. If you're in the room right now, And you're thinking, maybe sometimes I need some help. But it's rare. I want to applaud you for at least being honest with yourself because I think that's how we often live and function. Just the other day, Kate said, hey, I need you to do a few things around the house. Got some things I want to get installed. Some hangers, some hooks, things like that. And I was a little bit confused at first. And she said, do you need to like call a friend to come over? And I said, no, woman. (laughs) I said, I have YouTube. (laughs) I will figure this out. Don't need nobody's help. We all agree on paper with the sentiment of needing God, but functionally, I think we tend to say, I got this. I mean, that's been our nature, my friends, from the garden. Just to say, God, you're a good God, but I think I'd be better at the job. Like for the weightiest things in my life, I'll be Lord of it, and here's why. I'm intelligent. I'm resourceful. I'm not weak. I'm not needy. I can handle it. I will fix it. I don't really need help. God, I can help myself. And I think we all 
have some form of that internal dialogue. And listen, there are more, what, websites, apps, blogs, op-eds, podcasts, books, movies, articles, social media available for us to consume information. And here's the thing. We consume it under the deception that at the bottom of that bucket of information will be the help that we need. And season to season, we search for new help, and we believe we will eventually strike gold and have the help that we need and say, I figured it out. Church, listen, here's the reality. At an appointed time, God, the maker of heaven and earth, looked at a lost world, a broken world, a world trapped in sin, a world searching for help, and a world failing to help itself. And he sent the helper. Can I get an amen? You see, at an appointed time in history, Jesus came. And he dwelled among us. And he walked among us. And the search for help ended. The search for help ended when the Savior and the great Redeemer entered into human history. And God revealed himself to us fully. Do you understand that the search for help ended with the cross and the resurrection and the day of Pentecost and any self-help that we bank on is an empty help. It's a lesser help. Dare I say it could be an evil help in light of the help that's given by our creator. I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can as a pastor and I'm going to say it because it's to me too. Y'all need help. And in this passage, we are shown how we receive it. Are you ready? It's not complicated. Give Jesus your heart. Surrender your heart to Jesus. He says it three times. He says, if you love me, he who loves me, if anyone loves me, pay attention, church. God is not chiefly concerned with the money that you give. He's not chiefly concerned with your time and how you change your morals and your lifestyle. He's not chiefly concerned with your service, your politics, your affiliations. He is chiefly concerned with your heart. If anything precedes your love for Jesus, you've landed in some kind of self-made religion. That is not the gospel message. And you want to know how you know you have surrendered and given your heart to Jesus? You start to think about your life, your relationships, your perspective, your sense of peace and hope apart from him, and you are overwhelmed with joy and thanksgiving and humility that God sought and saved you, that you know him, that you actually, like for real, right now, you have fellowship with the living God. Oh, that you've met him and you've responded to him in faith. You start to think about his crucifixion that actually really did pardon you from the penalty of your sin. You start to think about that empty tomb that demonstrates that Jesus, the one that you belong to, the living God, has all power and authority over all things forever. You start to think about when you gave God your worst, he gave you his best. You start to think about how faithful he has been, how he has delivered you from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, that that actually happened. Christian, can I just ask you a question today? Do you love your Savior? Like, have you given Jesus your heart? 
somebody better relate to this. The gospel message is 1 John 4, 9. We love because he first loved us. It's Romans 2, 4. His kindness leads us to repentance. It's 1 Peter 2, 3. We grow into salvation because we have experienced that the Lord is good. (laughs) That is the gospel truth. And so we bow our knee. We place our faith and trust in Jesus. And we give our very heart to Jesus. And what does he do in return? He gives us his never-ending, never-failing help. Look with me at verse 20 of John chapter 14. Jesus says, after saying, I will live with you, he says, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Church, I'm sorry, but are there like bigger verses in the Bible? Show me. God will be in you. In verse 17, he will dwell with you. Verse 21, he'll manifest himself to you. Verse 23, he'll come to you and make his home with you. Like, I want us to think about the three years that Jesus spent with his disciples. I want us to to put ourselves in their story. What did Jesus do for them? Everything. Everything. He answered their every longing. He supplied their protection their provision. He gave them all the instruction and the information that they needed. He was a loving friend. He was a constant counselor. He was a miracle worker. He explained the meaning of every important thing, past and future. The faithful God looked them in the eye, like personally looked them in the eye and gave them promises and assurances and a sense of security. Think about this. He was somebody with more knowledge, more wisdom, more understanding, more strength, more power, more experience. Jesus was infinitely more in every single category. He was the better help to every other kind of help that they would look for. And so when it's time for him to leave and despair is in their heart, what does he promise? He says, to anyone who loves me, who gives me their heart, I will give you another helper to be with you forever. We often think, I'll give you a helper to be with you forever. No, 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 I'll give you another helper. That word another is translated translated alos. What it means is of the exact same kind. The word helper is translated parakletos, which means come alongside. Jesus is saying, if you love me, a helper is coming alongside you to be exactly like the helper that we see him being to the disciples in the Gospels. That is our reality today. Don't miss this. If your faith is in Jesus, if your love is set on Jesus, you are in constant relationship with the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You walk in fellowship and union every moment of every day, wherever you are, whatever time it is, with the triune God. Honestly, we could stop, sit, pray, journal, think for an hour on that right now, and it would be more than enough to come to the personal realization of Emmanuel, God with you, God dwelling in you, God alongside you, a helper to you. You cannot separate eternal life 
from its source. Do you understand that? You cannot separate eternal life from its source. What that means is if God is going to give you eternal life, Christian, he's going to give you the greatest gift, himself. You will be in relationship with him and you will have the help that you need in your friendship with God. So I ask a question that we always need to be asking. Do we have a daily conscious awareness of God's presence? Do we have a daily conscious reverence of God's presence? Do we have a daily conscious dependence on God's presence? And is the helper our first resort for help? For me, it's hard to say that he is. I assume I'm not alone in the room. What's waiting for us on the other side of giving Jesus our heart is that we're going to get never-ending help from him. He becomes the help that we can turn to. The question I want to answer in closing really is, how does the Spirit actually help us? How does the helper help? And I want to infer a few things from our passage. First, I want to say this. The helper is the reminder of identity. If you look at verse 18, Jesus says this to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yes, disciples of Jesus. Like if you're a Christian in the room, yes, disciples of Jesus are servants of God. Disciples of Jesus are soldiers of God. Scriptures tell us that disciples of Jesus are ambassadors, representatives of God. The Apostle Paul would even call himself a slave to God. But above and before any of these things, a disciple of Jesus is a child of God. That's what Jesus means when he says, I won't leave you as as orphans. The helper is our triune God. Yes, he's son and spirit, but he's also father. The helper is a good father who will never leave or forsake. A father who will never not be your good father. And the same John who authors this text that we're studying this morning, he writes these precious words in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Paul writes even more about the help the Spirit gives. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I want to um, just relate personally here. Um, get, no, you don't write sermons. Okay, That's not like you're, what you do for a living. But I just want to tell you about the, the, the journey of sermon preparation. Like the temptation every time I'm up to preach a sermon, number one is to make sure that I understand the passage. And some of you are like, dude, I hope, like, you're going to teach it, okay? I get it. But often, the way that I find fruit in the pulpit, um, the way that I actually get excited to preach is I sit down and I let the first sermon happen from the Holy Spirit to me. I sit down not as a soldier. I sit down with my Bible open, not as even a servant. I don't even sit down as an ambassador or representative of Jesus. I sit down as God's son. And I read the word personally for me. And I say, God, Holy Spirit, what would you want to communicate to me in your word? How would this shape my heart? How would this shape the way that I think? And I'm telling you, church, if I tried to do it any other way, I would not ever want to preach. It's a hard labor. But the joy of preaching comes out of the fruit of being God's son. I know God's love for me. I love him. My obedience to prepare, to teach God's word is the overflow of that. And I would ask you in your life for any spiritual discipline that you have, 
for anything that you do that's associated with your faith in Jesus. Are you operating today as a soldier? Just trying to do what God tells you to do and not really think about it that much. Just get it over with. Do the right thing. Are you operating as a servant? Are you operating as a representative just to make sure you don't slip up and, and you, know, you create a great reputation for Jesus? Are you operating as God's child? Are you affirming every single morning when you wake up? The Father delights in me. He loves me and has great pleasure in me, no matter what I did yesterday, no matter what I do today. I am forgiven. I'm cleansed. I have the Holy Spirit in me. I'm empowered and strengthened today, and I have the helper. God, thank you. Would you let the helper reorient your identity today? Would you be his son? The alternative to that is that your will will exhaust can we just relate for a second? Like the more we do things not out of a heart of love, the more prone our will to do such things just gets tired and exhausted. And in seasons, we don't want to persevere. The other way around, though, is that you operate first as God's son or his daughter. And love from him and love for him is the fuel of your obedience to him. That is the Christian walk. And so how do we need to ask God? to reshape our identity afresh. Second, the Spirit is a reminder of truth. He reminds us of truth. John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In verse 17, Jesus calls him the Spirit of truth. I just want to remind us, think about, second, our reality. God has given us truth. He's revealed us to us divine revelation about himself, about our world, about us. We find it in our Bibles. It should change the way we view the word of God. In a world that is full of lies, that's under the deception of the great deceiver, in a world that's shrouded in sin and spiritual blindness, God inserts and deposits the truth. What a grace to us, friends. I want to invite us this morning to see God anew as the the God of truth. Throughout the Old Testament, that's what he's called. The Lord abounds in truth. His word is truth. Zechariah 8.3 says, When the Messiah returns and sets up his kingdom in the world, the new Jerusalem will be called Truth City. Truth City. Ain't no city in the world worthy of that name right now. We will live in Truth City. And in the meantime, the church, the body of Christ, city like Bennington, is responsible to be the pillar and foundation of the truth as the helper brings it to our remembrance. I want you to know this is really personal. This changes our day-to-day. -day. I think of me, I need this in relationships. I need the helper to remind me um, about how I view people. I, I know that you're similar to me. We all can relate on this. We, um, we work with people. We have extended family, immediate family, we're neighbors to people. We're connected to people here in our church and in our, in our neighborhoods. And seeing everyone regardless of their background, not according to the outward, but according to the inward, is something that I'm asking the Spirit to help me do. I'm saying, God, would you bring to remembrance what is true about every person I interact with? The Apostle Paul says that we no longer know people according to the flesh. If you're born again, you do not any longer Refer to people, look at people, know people according to what's on the outside, but you actually know them according to their spiritual reality. 
according to what's on the inside. You're saying, how could Jesus break these chains? How could Jesus deliver good news to this person? How could I share the joy that I have in Jesus so that this person might know that kind of joy? You look at a person and you say, what's unique about them? What's worshipful about them? Because they're made in the image of God. They reflect his character and his nature. It's to value people in a new way and to be eager to love and serve them. And so that's what I ask the Holy Spirit for. Bring to remembrance what is true. Give me spiritual vision for all the people that I interact with in my life. And I want to ask, what about you? Is there truth today that you just need him to remind you of? You're not asking him for that help. Maybe it's just saying, God, would you help me, remind me, bring it to my remembrance. Lastly, in closing, the Holy Spirit brings peace. Verse 27, I think I actually touched on this verse the last time I preached. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Listen, whoever you are in this room, sitting in your seat, um, the greatest command, excuse me, the most often command, the, the most frequent command in the Bible is that you wouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Have peace. As I'm reading and studying this, getting ready to come up here and preach, I literally wrote in my journal, like within the first three minutes, I think I wrote, Glenn, why are you tripping? Over everything. It's just like there's, there's new things we look for and claw for every day to just make us lose sight of what's true and the peace that we have from God. How many times do I have to tell you is what I heard God saying. How many times do I have to tell you? I'm here. I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to reveal to you. I'm going to help you. I just hear him say over and over like Jesus did, you've given me your heart. You have my help. You've given me your heart. You have my help. You've given me your heart. You have my help. Here it is. It's yours. I want to close in prayer, and I want to pray Psalm 46 over our church. But before I do, uh, I want to invite you, if you're someone in this room who has not yet bowed your knee to Jesus, you have not known Jesus as the one true God who has come in the flesh to live a life that you could not live, to die a death on a Roman cross as a sacrifice for your sin to give you forgiveness. You've not bowed your knee to him as Lord. To say, Jesus, you run my life, I trust you. The kind of help that we are describing and learning of here is not available to you, but it can be. And God longs to give it. And so I'm asking uh, if you are someone today who feels uh, the call to repent of your sin and to trust in Jesus, that you would do that. And that you would find us as pastors in the back of the room afterwards to talk about that decision and that step of faith. Let me pray for us, church. God, I want to ask Psalm 46 over us that we would anew know you as our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And you say, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. God, I know right now in this room there are circumstances that are in people's face that feel massive, that feel insurmountable, that feel debilitating. May we let you fight the battle. There is no time, God, that we would ask you for help that you would not delight to give it because we are your children. We want to say thank you for sending the helper. Thank you for being the helper and giving us all the help that we need. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.